sort of, just a little bit. Live from Portland and live from the D.C. area, if you will. Trist is out in Portland. Nick Ashew out in D.C. You're back. You got your sunglasses on. You're feeling good. Although I'm going to guess, Trista, uh, it's not sunny out there in Portland right now if I was to, uh, you know, just, just guess without looking at the weather. Today is the worst day uh, since I've been here. It rained pretty much, I don't know, like six, seven straight hours. But it's been really nice, pretty warm. I've been outside a lot. Okay. We've done a lot of outdoor work, uh, helping out. Um, we So we've been lucky. Went on walks with Emma. It hasn't mm. been crazy. Um, but really, the sunglasses, Ashley, if I'm honest, just me, you, and the lamppost. Uh, I need a uh, an eyelash extension fill. And uh, I look very dead. I look very bland without them. And I'm not prepared to put mascara on. So I looked in the camera and I was like, I've got an appointment on Thursday. And we'll be back like Cook Crack, back like the seats on a Cadillac. So we're going glasses today. So I'll be honest with you. Did not notice that. And I mean that as a compliment. So you're fine. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Don't worry about it. But I'm, if that's what you feel you need to do, then that's what you need to do, and that's totally fine. If not, uh, just so you know, if you take them off, don't notice it. Everything's totally good, so you're okay. Yeah, see, look, don't I don't even see it. If you're watching us on Twitch, YouTube, any of the streams, you don't you don't notice the difference at all. And if we're being honest with ourselves, eh, these cameras they're, they're not picking up every little detail. We're not zooming in the way some of these are, so I think we're probably okay. They're like. Does she have eyelashes on, or is that just a smudge <laughs> on the camera on her eyeball? <laughs> so it's weird. So we had our we had our first Sunday without the NFL. Um, we just just passed right. It was the first Sunday. If I'm doing the math, wait, no, it's been two Sundays. I can't keep track. Two the Sundays. minute the NFL season's done, Trista, yeah, like it just feels so, weekends feel empty. But at the same time, I don't. People ask me this all the time, right? They're like, hey. So are you going to be okay now there's no football on on Sundays? Specifically my wife, who would just love for there not to be football. And I'm like, actually, I can take the deep breath. Like, it's it's okay. You get to a certain point. But the problem is, then the NBA kicks in. And you got all the NBA showcase games on Sunday. And you're like, well, it goes from one to the other. And then here we are. So there's there's always something. But it is it, it takes a few weeks, I feel like, to kind of adjust to just not having the NFL on on a Sunday at all anymore where you just kind of kick back and go okay you got the NBA and it it just it feels different doesn't it it does I just want to say because I did not come in on Monday after the Super Bowl that my breakdown on how the Chiefs were going to win that game might be <laughs> one of my best breakdowns I've ever had <laughs> which is I don't care that they're better these Niners I know that their roster probably more complete I know that we can't trust a single receiver other than Travis Kelsey I don't know how they're going to do it. They're, something probably is going to happen bad. The Niners are going to shoot themselves in the foot some way, and the Chiefs will come out victorious. I put every dollar in my wallet right before the game. I went to this cool little, like, bed MGM. They did this, like, in the convention center of La Aria, and then they set up, like, a mobile sports book window thing, which was actually pretty awesome. So you could just, like, cash mm. out right outside of the X. Like outside of the uh, expo center or whatever it was, and uh, and I was like, you know what? Let's just ride or die, double or nothing. Let's just put every dollar in the wallet on the Chiefs money line plus one oh five or whatever it is. And I've never been so happy. Plus three hundred on the money line live as well. Just I just want to say, it's fun to back the Chiefs. It is. It is a blast. And you know, <laughs> it's it's a point now too where like. 
you look at this team and you go, that might be the worst that we've seen of the Chiefs for the next five, six, seven years. Like, you know, peak, prime Patrick Mahomes. Like, that could be it. They're going to be aggressive this offseason. They're going to go after wide receivers. Mike Evans, I think, is the Chiefs are the favorite to sign Mike Evans this offseason. You had Mike Evans, even though he's a little bit older, some young guys in a really deep draft when it comes to wide receivers, and you go, here we are. We went from the Patriots to now the Chiefs. So it's like, yeah, this was the first time where we thought, right? How many times did we say it before the Super Bowl? Where it was like, maybe this is the time that we actually count the Chiefs out. Maybe this is the time where we go, even Mahomes can't overcome this. And then and then here we are. So it really is a testament to, like, just greatness as a whole, right? Tom Brady was obviously in that category. LeBron is in that category. Jordan was in that category. You go down the list of the all-time greats, Tiger in his prime, in that category of just, you never, no matter what, it may not make any sense whatsoever. You could have a million reasons why you would count out these greats because of whatever factors are there, right? You got injuries. You got guys that are, you know, not playing well around them, whatever the case is, whatever the sport is. But you still look at them and go, how, how can I? How can I? They find a way. Patrick Mahomes found a way. And the all-time greats, Trista, in any sport, just find a way. Seven for seven in clutch situations in the playoffs. That's insane. Mm-hmm. I tell you what. it's And I said this all that week, too. I've never slept better. I've never slept better than just betting on Mahomes. And it does feel mm-hmm. kind of like betting on the Patriots in the heyday. I've been watching Dynasty. I'm all caught up, which is awesome. And it does feel a little like right when they went out and, and got Randy Moss, right, where this is the year that they go out and get their Randy Moss. Is this a team? Yeah. Are, can the Chiefs yeah. go undefeated, right? Because that's, that's what we're looking at right now. And mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey came back, became his best self with nine catches over on all of his props. Isaiah Pacheco didn't, but like, you're right. This was the worst it was ever going to be. The window was open for other AFC teams to capitalize, and they just mm-hmm. could not. And now, look out, world. They're winning three in a row. It's, I mean, it's, it's hard to say no to that. I mean, honestly, it really is. Before we've even had, you know, we're going to get to obviously free agency this offseason. Like, there's a lot of the draft. There's so much that still has to happen. The NFL salary cap just skyrocketed, but if you're somebody that wants to win, why wouldn't you go to Kansas City? If you're a wide receiver like D Hop last year, they wanted D Hop T. They wanted D- they wanted him in Kansas City. What did he do? Well, he went to Tennessee and didn't make the playoffs and had a quarterback that was benched halfway through the season. If you want to win, that's the place that you go. So You've not only built a team that's a winner, but you've also built a culture that guys buy into that are willing to say, I'm going to maybe even sacrifice a little bit of money to go play there, right? Like LeBron in Miami or even LeBron in Cleveland the second time around. I guess you could argue maybe LeBron in Los Angeles, whatever. But like, you know what I mean? Like there are certain guys that just say, I'm willing to take a little less money so I can go play for this organization with this star, with this all-time great. And I know that I've got an opportunity to win a championship when it's going to be at least easier than anywhere else that I could go. That's what Kansas City's built now. And I think the thing that makes them so attractive to go and play with Patrick Mahomes is that they they were messing up. There was all kinds of screw-ups happening, and they're down mm-hmm. 10. And Patrick Mahomes is cute, cool as a cucumber. He's not yelling yeah. at his skill players. He's like, guys, all right. 
We got them. Yep. We got them right where we want them. Down 10. Yep. Plus 300 on the money line. Plus 7.5 uh, against the spread. And he's just, yeah, this is what I do all the time. Like the last time I won it against the Chiefs, I was down 10. What do I care about being down 10? They're going to they're gonna shoot themselves in the foot. And if you're a player like uh, Mike Evans, you've already played with Tom Brady. You, got, you know that feeling where it's like no matter what, we are never out of it. And that's like one out of every, every like 30 quarterbacks you really have that. Maybe two out of every 30, right? So it's – out of all the NFL teams in the league, all 32, you probably have two quarterbacks you can really say, like, no matter what's going on. I'm, like, also the wide receiver cool as a cucumber as well. Yeah, and, I mean, look, you look at it and say, <laughs> I did what I shouldn't have done, and I bet on, essentially, Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes. But the 49ers are way more talented. But it shows you how important the quarterback position is, especially when you're an all-time great, right? You're an all-time great, and you look at Patrick Mahomes and go, he found a way. Like Tom Brady finds a way. Peyton Manning had his moments where he found a way. You go down the list, you find these guys, and that's what it is. So, yeah, I mean, here we are as we head into the offseason in the NFL now, and we look around going, the Chiefs may have been the worst this past season and having won their second straight Super Bowl, the worst they've ever gonna, they're ever going to be in the prime of Patrick Mahomes. So I'm never writing them off again. I'm never betting against them again. It's insanely difficult to do Good that man. mentally, but I thought it was the right Good choice. Man. But Trista, I don't think I can do it anymore. I really can't. All right, we got some NBA games. Only four tonight, actually. But I'm sure you're on at least yes. a couple. I got a couple of bets, too. So I want to make sure that you throw those out. We got uh, Raptors and Pacers actually literally like tipping off like right now. And then, of course, uh, Knicks-Pistons in about uh, 20 minutes or so. What do you want tonight? Yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the Knicks-Pistons game first because I don't have anything in the Raptors-Pacers game, although I, I do Good sort of either. lean the Pacers <laughs> minus five and a half. That's why I wasn't really pressed for us to talk about it. Would probably lean the under in that Pacers game too but just because it's the Raptors and their offense has been abysmal. But I really like uh, a couple of things in this Knicks game. First and foremost, I like the Pistons plus 12. The Knicks are 3-7 and seven in their last 10 against the spread. Yeah. Uh, Detroit's been competing early. I like Cade Cunningham over 20.5 points as well. I don't know if you've been seeing what he's been up to. He just had over yep. 30 I'm points the too. other night. He's right hunting there with you on to try to get to the bet. line. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then I like the under, 233. I, I want to say it's 9-1 uh, and one to the under for the Knicks in their last 10. They've just been an under machine especially even if you go further out in terms of the data set, like 20 games. Um, both these teams have been under machines, especially considering the Knicks. They just haven't been very good defensively, but that's kind of still their brand of basketball. The only thing that I would be worried about is Detroit getting into the paint. They have been really bad uh, defending the rim. So I like Cade over 19.5. I like Pistons plus 12 in this game, and I like under 233 and a half. And then I've got a couple of things later on, but um, one of those games starts at ten, the other one starts at eight. So we can we can either wait on that, or you can give me your picks for that for that this game. Yeah, I mean, well, one, I'm with you on the Cade Cunningham, the over, and I got it at twenty and a half points. So if you got a nineteen, good for yep. you because that was hard to find. It was mostly a twenty and a half. Also, I've really been big on it. I'm I'm back on this road again. I've been this has been a regular bet for me. Josh Hart over thirteen and a half rebounds and assists. So the numbers obviously changed a little bit, but with with one, it's just been Julius Randle not being there. The Knicks have been decimated by injuries, and you know me, like, look, I'm a Knicks fan. I see what's coming down. 
they're only going to be able to do so much. They're deep. They've got a great culture there. It's been a long time since they've been in this point. But there's only so much this team can sustain. I'm watching them play the Celtics Saturday night, and it's like they just don't they don't have a full roster. They don't have enough to compete with a team like the Celtics. You could tell the difference between Boston and the Knicks and where they were. That being oh, yeah. said, though, I mean, Josh Hart double-digit rebounds in three of his last five games. He's been crashing the boards. In fact, I think I saw on that, and ESPN had it, or it was ABC because it was the ABC broadcast. I think it was something like, in terms of guys that are six seven or shorter, I think he's the best rebounder in the NBA right now, just given in terms of the frequency, height, like all of those things. It's one of those advanced stats, but you know what it is, what it is. But he's gonna, he's had at least eight rebounds in nine of the last ten games, ten rebounds in eight of those games. Like, Josh Hart has been crashing the board, so rebounds alone – in that spot is a great place for him to be. But he's just filled in well and taken over that. So I love Josh Hart. Cade Cunningham points is also another one that's there. Uh, I do have a couple in the Grizzlies Grizzlies game, which, Same. I mean, we can save that for a little bit later if you want. I'd say let's throw it out now because that game tips at eight. Yeah. In fact, I'll you know what? I'll go ahead and make the decision here now. I'll do it because Vince Williams, nobody's talking about this guy, yet Vince Williams is an absolute – I mean, he's he is somebody that has turned into this, like, de facto point guard – for the Grizzlies who have nobody left. And his assist total is sitting at six and a half. He's averaging almost eight a game just over his last five alone. It's plus money to go over six and a half tonight. They got nobody left on that team. But, and you're a big, I know you're big on this too. It's looking for props sometimes with role players in the NBA, right? Where the market hasn't necessarily adjusted. The Grizzlies are a great team to look at there. Another one is Luke Kennard. I got over two and a half threes for him. It's minus 132, so you're getting, you know, you're not getting the same price necessarily that you'd get in the plus money with Vince Williams. But they got a lot of guys there that are getting more playing time than they were supposed to. And it's an opportunity to kind of sneak in, take that when the market hasn't really adjusted yet. Vince Williams has been fantastic since he's gotten, I mean, we're talking over 32, 33 minutes a game every single night for the Grizzlies. Do you're right there with me, not on Vince Williams, but just on like role players who the line hasn't yeah. adjusted yet. Honestly, you're you're talking about Vegas, who's not really looking at the Memphis Grizzlies much. Uh, they're not really mm-hmm. putting a lot of effort and energy into handicapping player points for a team that's ne- without John Morant. So, first and foremost, in terms of player props that I love, I love Gigi Jackson tonight over thirteen and a half yeah. points. You look at him; the only game uh, that he in his last ten besides a game that he didn't play, that he's gone under 14 points, was last game against the Clippers, and the Clippers defensively are really good. He had 27 points against the Bucks, 20 against the Rockets, 16 against the Hornets, 27 against the Bulls, 16 against the Knicks, and 18 against the Celtics. So I really like the 13 and a half for him. And then I love Memphis plus two as well. Maybe even sprinkle some on the money line. Memphis eight and two against the spread at home. Brooklyn two and eight on the road against the spread. Uh, in their last 10. It's a good spot against the Nets, who are not a very good team, especially Ooh, defensively. Ugly. So you're right. That, and you got, yeah, you got guys that are willing to work hard, right? They're, you know, they got some role players. All right, what teams can we trust as we close in on March Madness? Patrick Stevens going to tell us next. Bet MGM tonight. Now, back to Bet MGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by Bet MGM. Here's the quick Nick Ashew. Lighter NBA slate tonight. Got some college hoops, though, too. This is what we're transitioning to, right? Now the NFL's done. Look, I know the NFL is a year-round sport, right? Without question. We know that. Got the draft coming up. Got free agency. There's a lot of stuff in terms of where guys are going to go this offseason. The NFL offseason is turning into the NBA in a lot of ways. But it is kind of nice now to be moving over to hoops. The NBA feels a little more meaningful now that we're post-All-Star break. College basketball, you're sitting there looking, and I'm like, 
God, we're a few games out before some of these teams are sitting here looking at, like, conference tournaments. That's really where we've gotten at this point. Yeah, it's happening just before you know it. I'm watching this North Carolina-Miami game because why? Because the Raptors playing the Pacers is not a game I'm interested in seeing any more of. I think I think the Raptors had seven points with seven minutes to go in the first quarter. Oh. And I said, you know what? I might just wait uh, until 10 to watch the Miami-Sacramento game. And that's the best slate game on the slate. And there's like no Jimmy Butler, no Jovich, no Tyler Hero, no Josh Richardson, uh, no Terry Rozier, and that's the best game of the night. So it's a college basketball night, my guy. Yeah, yeah. Without question, it is a college basketball night. Luckily, we bring on Patrick Stevens, Washington Post, uh, Blue Ribbon as well. And uh, we're at that point now, Patrick, where looking around going, the games have – not that they didn't have meaning before, but you know what I mean? Where we get to the point now we look at this and say, all right, we're talking about teams and resumes – and conference tournaments, and then March Madness. Yet out of all of this, the big conversation over the last, let's say, 48 hours or so has been court storming, where it's nothing new, but it is the biggest story in college basketball right now. So I feel like it would be a disservice, Patrick, if I didn't ask you first. How do you feel about court storming in college basketball at this point, and do you think that they're going to allow that to continue? Well, I think the important thing with all of that is you got to make sure everybody's safe, right? Like, I don't think anybody is sitting around thinking that it's good to, to, to run over players and coaches and stuff like that. So if you can figure out a way to do it safely, and, and some places have more experience in this than others, you know, I, I hate to uh, cast aspersions at Wake Forest, but they haven't exactly won very many of those types of games over the last 10 to 15 years or so. So maybe it's understandable that, that Wake wasn't ready for, for an experience quite like that. But you got to take care of, of, of making sure everybody gets off the floor safely. Uh, but if you can do that, you know, let people run to their heart's content. It, it really shouldn't be that hard to be able to have enough people on hand in, in a security fa uh, form or whatever uh, to be able to keep folks off the court until – you know, for an extra 10 to 15 seconds after the buzzer sounds. Yeah, on Wake Forest, Joe Lenardi has Wake Forest as his first team out, even though they're ranked 19th in Ken Palm. And, like, for you, is is that right? Or do you think that that win over Duke put them somewhere in your mind in the conversation? Or do you think they need another signature win? Well, I certainly think they would be wise to tack on a few more decent victories. I think they have Clemson in the last regular season game, uh, plus the ACC tournament. So, uh, but that said, I, I think when you look at them, you're you're looking at a team that hasn't really done anything wrong, uh, has that high end victory. Uh, the metrics look really, really good across the board. You know, they're the sort of team that has gone out and blistered a lot of people this season. I, I think I would have Wake Forest uh, inside. Uh, and, in fact, it will be inside my uh, field of 68 projection in the Washington Post tomorrow. Uh, I, I think the Demon Deacons still probably have more work to do. Certainly can't rest easy, but, but I would consider them one of the 36 best at-large teams in the field right now. You know, you're talking about 68 teams, Patrick. Do you think that it's just inevitable at this point that they expand the tournament moving forward? Yes, because there's a lot of greedy people in college sports. Um, and so the question becomes – is the final number 72 is it is it 80 is it 96 is it you figure out some way to basically make a giant event that has nothing but power conference teams in it basically i mean there's all sorts of ways that, that this can be messed up uh and i i certainly have all the faith in the world 
uh, that people in charge of college sports and in charge of television networks will do their darndest to figure out a way to mess it all up for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of marquee programs, to your point, on the outside looking in. Uh, of these teams, you've got Utah, you've got Butler, you've got Villanova, Cincinnati, Ole Miss. Um, who do you think of that group sneaks in? Uh, you know, I, I think if it can get a few more wins, like the, the metrics on Ole Miss are actually pretty good, uh, predict, particularly the result-based metrics. Um, the, the net is not in their favor, but there's other stuff that works. I think for Cincinnati, the, the things are not trending in the right direction there at all for the Bearcats, and it always felt like somebody out of that Big 12 um, lower middle class was basically going to get squeezed out, and it certainly looks like it's going to be Cincinnati at this point. Utah really did not help itself over the weekend uh, it, with the loss to Colorado, uh, and so I, I think they certainly have some work to do as well. And who was the fourth team you mentioned in that group? Villanova and Butler. Villanova and Butler, okay. Um, both still with plenty of work to do. Uh, you know, Butler, I thought, was in decent shape heading into last week. Uh, and things didn't quite go their way. And Villanova, you know, obviously had those early season victories, uh, but really needs to get some some more work done before uh, before the end of the Big East tournament. Talking to Patrick Stevens, bet MGM tonight. Uh, there's teams on the back end, and then there's also teams on the front end as we look at you know getting closer and closer to the NCAA tournament. Here, Houston's now number one in the AP poll, which we know week after week it feels like this whole thing changes. College basketball in general has been insanely frustrating to bet on or just insanely frustrating to uh you know predict i guess is it would be the best way to look at it if you were to look at right now you know houston purdue uconn you got tennessee those are the top four teams in the ncaa what is the team that you look at right now and say i trust them the most once we get to forget you know conference tournaments but march madness specifically Connecticut, I think, is the team that you can trust the most. I mean, had the chance to see them a couple weeks ago. Not not a great gauge because they were playing Georgetown, and and just about everybody beats Georgetown, uh, especially on Georgetown's home floor, apparently of late, anyway. But you looked at the way that they were just so methodical, and they, and they've been like that for the most part. I think you're you, the way that you know leagues are set up now that are so far flung, and you got to travel far. And, you know, they were coming off that huge victory over Marquette, probably uh, expended a lot of energy, probably felt pretty good about themselves. So I, I don't really look at that Creighton loss last week as some sort of, uh, you know, danger sign or anything like that. I, I think for I think for UConn, uh, they're just so complete in so many different ways, uh, and I do trust them probably more than anybody else in the field at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. I love UConn. I got them. I think I gave it out at twenty to one, but I actually took them at eleven to one. What do you like, Patrick, about what Auburn is doing? Um, because you know Bruce Pearl, he obviously one of the better coaches that doesn't necessarily get as much shine, um, and has been in the tournament and gone deep before. Top five right now in Ken Palm. Um, how deep do you think that they could they could go? And and what do you like about what they're doing? They're kind of a they're kind of one of those teams that you you have to sort of dig into a little bit with with their overall profile just because like you said high end metrics a lot of wins uh, but not necessarily like a boatload of great wins uh, you know they've picked up a few more as SEC plays gone along uh, but they're you know a typical Auburn team that is going to test you athletically uh, and so you know everybody talks about how 
the NCAA tournament is about matchups, and I feel like Auburn is the team, especially during the Bruce Pearl era, that like defines that, right? Like you, you can basically create all sorts of problems for people just based on the athleticism and the size that they present. Like I think back a few years to that Auburn North Carolina game in the tournament, and it was just a, a, the the shining example of how a good team just had a terrible matchup in Auburn and off they go and their season's over. So, you know, I think Auburn's one of those teams that if they can overwhelm somebody with their athleticism, uh, they're probably going to be in for a pretty good night. And, and, and that's uh, that's one of those teams that, that's high risk, high reward uh, when you get to the NCAA tournament because some teams can handle that and some teams can't. Right now, if you're looking at, besides even just the team you, you trust the most, obviously, in UConn that you mentioned, who would be the four teams you think right now look like the four one seeds that we would get in the tournament? Yeah, I think at this point in order, it is Purdue, Connecticut, Houston, and North Carolina, subject to change based on mm-hmm. what's going on in Chapel Hill at the moment. Uh, with Arizona probably the next team up after that. Okay, so that's interesting because I know North Carolina has been a team that people have had, you know, obviously certain questions about really since Hubert Davis even took over as the head coach, right? They've had their ups, they've had their downs, they've kind of been there. They haven't won an outright ACC regular season title since 2017. Does that feel like a team to you that, I know you said it kind of depends on what happens there in Chapel Hill, but does that look like a team to you now that you kind of feel like is on the rise, the arrows pointing up for them? Because I feel like now from the beginning of the year to where we are, there, there is a level of confidence in North Carolina that wasn't there before. No doubt. Yeah, the funny thing is, is if, if you'd asked me that like three weeks ago, I would have said absolutely. And that they've been a little wobblier over the last few weeks or so. But that said, like this team has such well-defined roles, which was kind of what happened during their Final Four run a couple years ago and what they didn't have last year. I mean, you have a clear top option on the perimeter in R.J. Davis. You have the big guy in Baycott that you know you're going to throw it into no matter what. You've got complementary pieces like Cormac Ryan uh, and Harrison Ingram who you know aren't, ne- aren't necessarily going to be guys that score more than a dozen points a game at any point, but they, they do what they do really well. Uh, and then Elliot Cato, uh, kind of the point guard that, that is willing to defer uh, to R.J. Davis and is willing to be a table setter. And so they have all that, and they have the right amount of depth, I think, certainly more than they did last year. Uh, and so I like them uh, just as kind of a stable team. I, I don't necessarily think they're they're unbeatable, um, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, I feel like you're going to have to go out and play a pretty good game to knock off the targets. You know how it is with uh, this tournament. Defense or elite offense can let you go deep. A team that I'm curious about is Nebraska. Fred Hoiberg has really changed it up. Defense is allowing only 65 points per game. For you, do you think that they can maybe make a deep run in the Big Ten tourney or even in the Big Dance? Yeah, I, I certainly think they can in, in the in the Big Ten tournament because there's hardly anybody in that league besides Purdue that's entirely trustworthy. Uh, you know, maybe Wisconsin, maybe. Uh, you know, but I think at the same time, you look at the way Nebraska has played against good teams outside of, of Lincoln, and it gives a little bit of pause. Uh, you know, how are they going to fare on neutral courts uh, when, when it matters most? I don't know. I do think that they're a really, really solid team that's trending up. Uh, I, I think if they can get themselves out of that 8-9 territory, maybe get themselves up to a 6 or a 7 by finishing strong, 
uh, that they could be in position to create some headaches for some folks. I don't know that if they got stuck playing a one seed uh, in the second round of a tournament that that, that would be a, a winning scenario for them on a neutral floor. Talking to Patrick Stevens, BetMGM tonight. Still got about two minutes or so left here. Uh, how much has Zach Eady improved from last year to this year? He's, he certainly improved some, but when I, when I think of Purdue, I think mm-hmm. about those guards being better. You know, like, I mean, Lawyer and Smith are both so much better than they were last year. Uh, and that, in turn, has allowed Edie to be a more effective player, um, it, it, which is not to sit here and suggest that Edie didn't work on his game or he didn't improve. Uh, but the way that that kind of manifests itself uh, is, is has a lot to do with just how much better the guys around them are playing right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I did want to get your thoughts before we get you out of here about Florida. They've won 8 of 10. They're 27 in the Ken Palm rankings. Like, do you think that that's, like, a real data set, or is this just because Walter Clayton Jr. has kind of found his groove recently? Yeah, you certainly look at their profile, and it, it strikes me as one that, that keeps they're, – they're, the, they're one of the handful of SEC teams that are like that, where you keep looking at it. It's like, huh, they're a, they're a little bit better than you thought they were, and you keep stacking that over and over again. Mississippi State's another team like that. Uh, but I do think that Florida, given some of the teams that it's beaten in that span, uh, you certainly have to give them credit and, and start thinking about them as a team that maybe has a ceiling as like a five seed, maybe even a little higher if they, if they were to win the SEC tournament. Uh, and certainly you think about uh, Todd Golden uh, coming in. He obviously did great work at San Francisco follow, following Kyle Smith, has a really good mind for, for the analytics of the game and all that. It is not surprising that, that he has figured things out. Uh, before long there in Gainesville. Patrick Stevens, Blue Ribbon Yearbook, Washington Post. Great to talk to you again, man. Good stuff. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, he knows his college hoops as much as anybody, Trista. I'll tell you what, like this is, like you and I both love UConn. I bet UConn but right before the tournament last year to win it. Like we kind of both been on that train to a point. But doesn't it just feel like this is going to be one of those tournaments that is insanely unpredictable? College basketball has become as volatile, I think, as any sport you could imagine. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you still see some of those teams, though, that were really good last year still in the mix this year. Arizona, mm-hmm. plus 280 to make the Final Four. Purdue, which we always call Purdue. They, they're always, they've been in Can't it since it. I've been on the show. Can't uh, couldn't do, do it. it. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't do it, couldn't do it, won't do it. Nope. Houston. UConn, uh, who else? North Carolina, obviously, they they went all the way uh, deep into the tournament two years ago. So some of the same names, though, Ashu. Some of the same names. Sure. You definitely have some of the same programs, but then at the same time, we could poke holes in just about every one of them. Like Houston offensively can be a liability at times, but defensively they're, like, historically good. So it kind of just is what it is. Uh, the last guy to win three MVPs over a four-year stretch was Magic Johnson. Can Nikola Jokic... Be on pace to do that next. Bet MGM tonight. Porter Jr. raises up on the midi. And Jokic tips it home. Lee keeps it alive. But Russell has talked about how being aggressive with his own shot has actually helped open everything else up as Bull Bull fires it down with the right hand. A 42-point first for Phoenix, and Bull Bull with seven. There's narrative out there. That's all we do is get to the free throw line. I mean, 
we have attackers. That's what we do. I mean, we, we have attackers. Yeah, we shoot the ball from the, from the perimeter, but we're not shooting 40, 50 threes a game. I mean, we're not that team. Um, we don't have the luxury of being that team. So, you know, when we're going to the, you know, into the paint, that's what, that's what we're really good at. So, you know, have eight free throw attempts is definitely not us. Now, back to BetMGM tonight on the BetQL Network, presented by BetMGM. Oh, wouldn't be the first time LeBron James not happy about free throw attempts for the Lakers. Eight total for them, zero in the second half against Phoenix. Once a day, play the uh, BetMGM free-to-play BetMGM fast break for a chance to win daily prizes. You can play as the point guard. Choose to pass to Kevin Garnett, maybe Jalen Rose, or you can take it yourself for a dunk. If you score, you get a prize. Free-to-play promotion, of course, there. You just go right on where all the, the promotions tab is right at BetMGM. And then, of course, if you're an account holder, you go, you sign up, click the little tab, boom, you're done. It's very easy. It's all you got to do. Trista, I was thinking about this over the weekend. LeBron even aside for a second here, because we've obviously talked about his longevity and the greatness and Mahomes and where he is, like all those guys. I even, more of my takeaway again, for it wasn't even just this weekend, but it's continued to be this way. Watching Nikola Jokic play, who's now the favorite again to win MVP at minus 155 over at BetMGM. Like, we have not had somebody win three MVPs over a four-year span since Magic Johnson, way back in the early 80s. And... As much as I'd love to say Shea Gilgis-Alexander deserves it, as much as I'd love to say Luka and the way the Mavs are playing, he could certainly win it. Nikola Jokic looks like an MVP, and the evolution of the big man from where we thought it was dead a few years ago. They took it out of all-star voting. It was just front court and back court to now Jokic and Wemby and Chet Holmgren, and you go down the list. I'm looking around at the NBA going, we're, we may be entering a, the glory years of the big man in the NBA again. It just looks very different from where we were before. Nikola Jokic is, is unreal. I, I watch him. He played in Portland. I wanted to see him, and then I just decided I didn't want to be sad. There was no scoot. Uh, there was no shade in. It was really just Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant. I don't even think Aiden played. And I think he went off in that game, too. I think he had... Only only nine assists, but he was one shy of a triple-double. He's just a triple-double machine. There's a reason he's min- minus 155 to win the MVP. I don't think anyone else can win it, especially you look at the Nuggets and what they've been doing down the stretch. They're now rising up the standings again, right? Because it's, it's a very tight race right now in the West. There's only a couple of games separating you know, fourth or third from ninth or tenth. And you look at even the Sacramento Kings, they're one game better than they were last year, and they were solidly the three seed pretty much all year last year. And they were just yesterday like an eight seed or a seven seed. So you look at the Nuggets and what they want to do to try to stay in that top six. They need to continue to win. And they're just so big, and Jokic just has so many of these highlight moments. Uh, Yeah, I, I think you're getting to a point where there's not even exhaustion anymore in the voter market. It's almost like maybe he should have won last year, and then maybe he should maybe he should have won four in a row. Yeah, and I do want to bring this up. Dylan brings up a good point. LeBron did actually win four over a five-year span. You had Derrick Rose in the middle, so that would kind of do the three and four years, four and five. But you get the idea. Like it doesn't it doesn't happen very much. And you bring up a good point where it's like. Voter fatigue is always something with MVP. I mean, you go back and look at some of these, like Steve Nash won two in a row, and then it was Dirk Nowitzki after that. LeBron won two. They gave it to Rose, then went back to LeBron for two years. Then you had Steph Curry after Durant winning it for a couple years. Then it was Westbrook and Harden. Giannis for two years in a row. Jokic for two years in a row. Then it was Embiid. So you get to that point 
where voters do look for somebody else. And I'm not saying that this is Jokic's award to just run away with at this point, but with him beat out, you're taking out a massive, massive name that would be a big part of the MVP race at this point. Embiid's done. He's not going to play 65 games. He's not going to be able to win this award. So it comes down to Jokic and somebody that hasn't won it before. And I got to be honest with you. As much as I'd love to say somebody like Luka could deserve to win it with the way that the Mavs are certainly playing right now in the season that he's having, T, I don't, I just don't see how anybody else can come down this and win this award. I mean, even Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's having an incredible season. But Jokic just looks different than everybody else out there. Giannis is 14 to 1. Luka's 6 to 1. Shea is plus 240. Then you're dropping all the way down to like Jason Tatum at 33 to 1 and Kawhi's 80 to 1 and Brunson's 150 to 1. Like it's so spread out. It's just starting to feel like, even though we've got a lot of time, that Nikola Jokic is going to kind of break through that voter fatigue scenario and come on top and win this one again. Yeah, you look at the NBA, though, and you you mentioned a lot of time, and it feels like it's getting late early, doesn't it? I mean, there's Mm -hmm. only a third of the season left to go. So we're going to need to see the Thunder put together some really marquee games and Shea's going to need to be at the heart of that. Yeah. The problem though with the Thunder is a, a young man named Chet Holmgren who continues to be the guy that they interview at the end of games, which means that it's not <laughs> Shea's party, right? If you're interviewing if you're yeah. interviewing Chet, it's because Chet has done something remarkable and I think that's actually getting in the way of Shea's MVP case as you have a rookie battling it out, duking it out with Wembenyama. And so they're kind of going chest for, you know, chest to chest, trading blows to try to put together the best performances to win their individual awards. So when you have other players trying to win individual awards, I think that might actually make it more difficult for you, you to win an MVP. Which and like listen, the Thunder in general are a super stacked team and they've kind of come out of nowhere, which in a, in a de- to a degree, I think hurts SGA's case. Yeah, it's always hard, right? Because you have to kind of get into the minds of these voters and, okay, are you going to hold this player against this guy because he's got him on his team, right? But, I mean, even let's even look at the Cavs right now, right? The Cavs are 37-19, and 19, and yet we're looking at Donovan Mitchell as 200-1 to 1 to win MVP. Now, do I think he's going to win it? No. Is it worth maybe a little sprinkle just in case because of the price? Sure. Shop around too, because I see a three hundred to one. Oh, then even better. If you see a three hundred to one, obviously right that's the direction that you want to go. But you know what I mean? Like Donovan Mitchell is having the type of season that looks like again, it fits all of the categories. Best player on a team that is the second best record in the Eastern Conference. Now I know there's seven and a half games behind Boston, so it's a little bit of a different situation as opposed to even where Oklahoma City is, where we're talking about them maybe having the best record in the Western Conference, maybe the second best record in the NBA when it's all said and done. But Donovan Mitchell's not even in the conversation right now. And it's just like when I look at this MVP race, it doesn't feel like it felt kind of wide open for a while. But with Embiid out now, I I just find it really hard because the Mavs are sitting there still as the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Like, Luka's not going to win if they're in the play-in tournament. He's just not going to win that award, even with the season that he's having. So you sit here and look at players that are having, like, SGA in the season that, that he's got. But you've got all that other talent around him. And every good player, every MVP candidate is going to have other talent around him. That's just that's the way that it works. You're playing on a great team. There's other talent. But it just feels like when you look at this, 
if you put price aside, because obviously we want to look at price and you want to sit there and say, well, there's great value in that. That's maybe something that's worth even a little sprinkle because, hey, maybe, why not? It's like Joe Flacco winning comeback player of the year. It was worth a little sprinkle. He ended up winning it, even though we thought there was no chance. We thought Tamar Hamlin was going to just run away with it because of the circumstances that were there. But I look at this and say, I just, like, Jokic feels like he fits in every category. He checks every box to win another MVP that I... I find it tough to even justify some of these other well-deserving names like an SGA, like a Donovan Mitchell. I just I just don't see how they're going to win this award this year. Yeah, especially considering that there's just not enough juice and buzz, right? The Cavs, like you said, they're the two seed, and no one cares. No one cares yeah. at all. I am not hearing many people talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers you know, starting to to pull away from the Bucs. They're, you know, a game ahead. And the Bucs, they had a couple of good signature wins, but I, do we trust them to continue this, given the fact that they were, you know, three and seven uh, in the first 10 games of Doc Rivers? And he said, basically, I wanted to come on as the head coach after the All-Star break. Probably not, and no one cares. So it's it feels like Jokic, it's not just his award because of how good he's been. It's really the the highlights that he's been giving us. Like how many how many damn assists did he have last night? 16 and 16? Mm-hmm. 32, mm-hmm. 16 and 16? And on any yeah. given night it's something different. And he has like a, these like I said, like these marquee moments inside the game that they put on social media that make people want to vote for him. And I think probably some people thought he maybe have got maybe got robbed last year because people were holding it against him that he didn't win a championship and then he went out and just won a championship. Yeah, and that's a good point too is you can now use that to say he's also a champion and this team, like the Nuggets don't have to be the one seed in the Western Conference because we all know they're playing for the playoffs. That, that's kind of where we are right now and yeah, I mean years ago you obviously had Russell Westbrook win MVP and they were the sixth seed in the West but he averaged a triple-double and that was before he was averaging triple-doubles every single year so that was kind of like an extenuating circumstance, you know, like that's not something you're normally going to see. But yeah, by the way, Jokic over on assists has just been, I mean, every single night, just take it every single night with him. The 16, like he has just been on an absolute roll. And that's, and I think that's what makes him so unique too. It's like, I'm watching LeBron in the Suns game. I'm going like the passes LeBron's making, not that we haven't seen this before, right? Where it's, I mean, LeBron's court vision is as good as any player that we've ever had in the NBA. He makes passes that you watch and you're just amazed. You're like, really? Eyes in the back of your head. It it it, it feels that way. But we got Nikola Jokic, a seven-footer with a dad bod, going out on the fast break, leading the team on the fast break, and playing like Magic Johnson. And I think some of it does have to also do with the fact that we watch him. And you like you said this, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. You watch it, like, at least with LeBron, I go, well, LeBron's built like a tank. You know, the guy's in incredible shape. He's, you know, he came into the NBA built like an NBA player already. Nikola Jokic just looks like a, a like, Nikola Jokic looks like a, a bouncer at a Europe, Eastern European club somewhere. And, like, you don't expect him to be somebody that's going to go out there and do what he does, and yet that's what we get from him. So I think that actually works in his advantage, too. It's just that you watch him, and you're amazed by what he can do, given the way that he looks. Well, and to your point, like, LeBron bitching about free throws, Nikola Jokic is getting absolutely mauled out there, and he's shooting four free throws a game. Makes no sense. Yeah. 
it's it's very very true so yeah i, I it just feels like Jokic is to win it's bet mgm tonight